0: Been telling everybody all week, pastor's in prison, because he's doing ministry in prison, so uh, he asked Brandy and myself to come and talk to you guys this morning about North American Mission Board, and also um, missions abroad. Um, for our, in our case, it'd be um, Guatemala, and you heard Lynn Crump talk about Africa last week. We want to share that with you um, today. I want to share with you a story of Elijah, um, a story we're familiar with, but break it down for a little bit differently. Brandy's going to come forward and tell you about um, North American Mission Board, what what that's about. Uh, With UTH Ministries, we've we've been to Louisiana for Katrina. We've been to West Virginia to help on um, projects like that. And all that is about North American Mission Board, and that's where your opportunities can come from. But also, she's going to tell you about how that's supported.
1: Okay, we're super excited to share with you uh, some mission opportunities this morning. Um, As you know, UTH is uh, we support a ministry in Guatemala called Hope of Life. And this year we're going July 21st through August the 4th. It's two weeks. And uh, we're currently taking 19 people. And then two of those are staying for about eight weeks. Um, Tanner and Jill, they're st- spending their summer um, there helping the mission. Um in that eight, 19 people, there will be five different churches from the area uh, represented in our group. Uh, there's a church from Taylorsville, a church from Hickory, uh, a church from Bethlehem, uh, the church here, and uh, a church from Statesville. So um, I think that's really awesome that uh, all the churches are coming together and working together. I think that's a cool picture of how God wants us to work together Um I also wanted to let you know a little bit about Annie Armstrong. Uh, the Easter offering uh, will split half with um, Annie Armstrong and then half with Guatemala. Uh, but Annie Armstrong is a lady that started Women's Mission Union, and she was a prayer warrior, and she also was a mission advocate. She wrote um, many letters of encouragement to missionaries uh, as as well as many letters to get support for missions. Um, so the North American Mission Board which we support here at the church, uh started Annie Armstrong Mission uh Fund to help home missions, which is at United States and Canada. So all the monies raised for this fund goes directly to missionary salaries, uh student missions, uh campus ministries, um, Bible projects, church plants, um, and um all other uh mission home mission projects, um like disaster relief, um as Brad said, we went to and got to help with Katrina in their disaster relief. I think there was a group from here that went and helped with Katrina during disaster relief. Um, so this morning we're going to just focus on missions and the different opportunities um, and different ways for missions this morning. Thank you.
0: Well, I'm going to talk about a story that we probably are very familiar with, and that's Elijah when he went, went to King Ahab and told him that, you know what, my God's more powerful than your God, I'm going to ask Him to not allow it to rain for a period of time. We know that's three years. <clears throat> and during that three years, there's a story in there that we kind of overlook when we tell this story, whether it be in Sunday school or whatever. And I want us to break it down and look at that. So I'm going to start um, in First chap- in Kings. And what I want you to do, if you have Bible paper, oh, there's my Torah, tore out of my Bible. Um, why don't you hold it up in the air? If you have a paper Bible. If you have an electronic Bible. Okay, it's about fifty-fifty. I was just curious. See, if you got an electronic Bible, you don't have to worry about pages falling out. But, anyway. Alright, so I'm in 1 Kings 17. And Elijah uh, was starting 16, verses 29-33. And Elijah goes to King Ahab, and he's just trying to tell him, look, what you're doing is wrong. Um, and just trying to correct him, but Ahab doesn't want to hear it. So we're in 16, 29 through 33. And Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in, 30, in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. And as though... It were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam. He married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbel of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship of Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. So you see, Ahab just didn't care. He didn't care what Elijah's I'm going to tell him Ahab was going to do what he wanted to do. So he married this this lady from another family group, another culture, and then he starts bowing down to her God, which is Baal. And Elijah comes to her and he said, or comes to Ahab and says, Look, you're bowing down to Baal, but my God's more powerful. So I'm going to ask my God to not allow it to rain for a period of time. Now, what's significant about that is Baal is known as the god of harvest. And if you have no rain, you have no what? You have no harvest. So that's what the significance about that is. So we're going to pick up in 1 Kings 17, chapter 1, or verse 1. I'm going to read the full story, and then we're going to go back and break it down. So chapter 17, 1 Kings, verse 1. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, Told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat the eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat. Each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will surely die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until a time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. The first thing I want you to notice here is when he goes to Ahab, he gives credit to God before God's even done anything. A lot of times when things go well or, or um, when we've been through a circumstance, we give God the credit afterwards. But God's already given, or Elijah's already given God credit for what He's going to do. He says he goes to Ahab and he says, "My God is not going to allow it to rain. He's going to get your attention, and that's exactly what happened." See, when we give God credit for things we're going through beforehand, it shows that we have faith that God's going to provide the needs that we have. Um, God wants us to do the impossible, things we don't think can happen. I don't know about you, but if I went to somebody, if I went to the weatherman and said, you say it's going to rain tomorrow, I say it's not going to rain for three years, he's going to look at me like I'm crazy. But for that to happen, it had to be God. So Elijah gives God credit in the beginning instead of waiting for the results. Because it's easy to give somebody credit when the job's already done. You have to be bold in what God has said and the fact that He's going to provide. The first way He provided when He's calling us to do something, it's through this raven. It says, "...the ravens brought Him bread and meat each morning and evening, and He drank from the brook." And that's exactly what God had asked Him to do. Go to the brook. The ravens are going to bring you food. It's hard to depend on, on people sometimes, right? You just want to do it yourself. Imagine having to depend on a person, or in this matter, a bird, to bring you food every day. You wake up in the morning, no food. Go to bed, no food. But during that time, this bird has brought you food. All right? God has provided through this raven, just as God had said He would. In verse 8 and 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Once again, He's showing His provision. He's, He's saying, Go. See, God has provision. what He has planned for us to do when it comes to us doing the impossible. A lot of times, if you look here, He's, he's in Careth Brook, and then He's going to Zarephath. And a lot of time, God has called us to a ministry. He's given us a vision of something He wants us to do. And along that path, He tells us to move on to another, another place or another uh, part of that mission. And sometimes that's hard. Uh, for Brandy and myself, UTX ministry started out as youth ministry. We had eight eight years of uh, full ministry. And then we moved to um, doing skate and BMX ministry. Now was a hard transition because you don't really understand why. You just know God's telling you to do it and you do it. Well, toward last year, or maybe a little bit longer than that, he called us to do a motorsports ministry. And it was hard leaving that skate and BMX ministry because we thought four years ago that the two were going to be combined together. But he said, you know what, just move on. So we moved on. Knowing that God's going to provide each step of the way. Just as Elijah knew that, that God was going to provide wherever he needed to go. So the, the raven provided the food. And then God says, move on. Go over here to Zarephath. And there will be a lady there that's going to feed you. There's people that going to, that we're going to impact while we're being impacted. When God shows us a vision of, of what He wants us to do or, or uh, where He wants us to go, you know, it can be scary. But God has those provisions. But I want you, what I want you to see today is the fact that while we're doing what we think God wants us to do, we're impacting people along the way. There's always somebody looking up to you and wanting to know what, what you're, you're about. In verse 12 of chapter 17, the widow said, But I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, then my son and I will surely die. You see, she already gave Elijah credit for knowing that he was a man of God. Did Elijah come up to him and say, hey, I'm super Christian or whatever? No, no. It was just by his actions, and she could tell by his obedience that he was a follower of God. That he knew who the one true God is. So she knew that what he said was true. Now do I think she was a believer here no? Because she says, I swear by the Lord, your God. Not the Lord my God. She's just saying, he's your God. But I know he's doing something through you, and I'm going to listen to what you have to say. The greatest compliment I think you could ever have would be at a workplace or, or wherever that may be and somebody comes up to you and says, there's, there's something different about you. There's some, I don't know what it is, but there's something about the way you act. Um, I can tell that, that you're, just trying to, you're trying to follow something or someone. What, what's different? I think when somebody sees that difference, the God living through you, I think that's the greatest compliment because when we allow God to live through us and people see it, we're doing exactly what God wants us to do. He wants to reveal Himself through us by being obedient to His will. If you look in Psalms um, 145 and uh, verse 13, in in 15 and 16 of 17 it says, "...so she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days." There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the container just as the Lord had promised. Now in Psalms one hundred forty five thirteen, this is what it says. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, you rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises, he is gracious and all he does. Elijah told his lady, fix me some bread, and you will always have flour in your jar and oil in the jug. And that's exactly what happened. Someone is looking up to you on this mission that God has put you forward, whatever that is. If you if you feel God has led you somewhere and you're you're on that mission, people are looking up to you. People are watching you want to see what it is, what's going on. Just like this lady knew that Elijah knew some awesome God, even though she didn't know him, and she listened. If you have time today or sometime this week, I want you to go on YouTube and just type in Total Village Transformation. And there's a video. This was just, was just a trailer of it. It's 15 minutes long. For our trip this time in Guatemala, that is our that is the vision God's put before us, is to start a Total Village Transformation. It's about a three-year project. But it starts out with a church. And that's what our goal is this time, is to go and start a church. Because that church allows... Um, a place for them to come to worship. Um, I would just encourage you to watch this video because I can't ex- express or explain exactly what the pastor says on, on the video. Uh, you can just tell that what it means to him. Because in these villages, they don't have vehicles to drive. A couple people may have a bicycle at the most. So they have to put churches in every village so they can go, go there. But it, it's not only a church, it's also a place of education. They start with that church and they do school during the week for the kids. Um, I think it's like 80% of the children never finish elementary school in Guatemala because they can't afford it or they can't afford to get there or whatever that case may be. So this total village transformation starts with a church and then it grows from there and into building homes and, and stuff like it just to make the village self-sustaining. But the point of the whole trip is who are we impacting along the way? You saw a couple of people in there, how they were working together with those there. Um, you impact a lot of people along the journey. Just as Elijah was doing on this journey that God has set for him. Back in King 17, verses 22 and 23, um, we know that the, the lady's child has died. And Elijah says, Give me your child. So in 22, he says, The Lord heard Elijah's prayer. And the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. And said, Look, he said, your son is alive. Alive. On this mission, Elijah is providing life. You see, God created each one of us to have a relationship with him. I mean, think about it. We can be a friend of the Almighty God. I'm a friend of God. But when we screw up each and every day, the mistakes we make, the sins, whatever it is, that's enough for us to not be in a relationship with God. But He offers us forgiveness. He offers us life. And that's a life we need to share with others. That we need to offer to others. So here's Elijah, and he says, Man, give give me your son. Takes him upstairs, and he prays to God. like, God, give this child life. That should be the... The heartbeat of each person here that truly knows Jesus Christ is each person you come in contact with God, give them life. Let them see what life truly is. Give them a purpose. Let them know what they're here for. We're here to have a a relationship with Him and then do His work and go out on these these missions, these visions that, that He's given us. He wants us to accomplish what we see as impossible. Building this church in Guatemala for Brandy and myself seems impossible. Because to fund the funding of just that church is $12,000. We, we fund our plane tickets, and we wonder how we're going to do that each time we go. Yet we've been several times. Because when God calls you to do something, He provides the means necessary, just as, we, as we've seen in this story. God gives us the strength to reveal Himself, the strength to reveal Himself, so that we can offer life to those who are dying—not physically dying, but spiritually dying. Because there's people out here that, um, and maybe even in this room, wonder, you know, I get up in the morning, I go to work, come home, go to sleep, repeat. What's the point? But when we truly know God, our Father, and know that the salvation that His Son gave for us, we see the purpose of our lives, that each person we're coming to contact each and every day, when we're being impacted, we're also impacting others along our journey. There's a video of some testimonies of the Guatemala trip, and Cindy's going to come up and give a testimony as well. I want to uh, let you watch that, and I'll be up to finish the story.
2: I'm no good at this. (laughs) When we started preparing for this trip, Brad and Brandy had asked the people that was going on the trip or had been on the trip to write a letter saying why and, you know, just their feelings. And so you guys get to listen to me. Uh, I feel that when you go on a mission trip that you make that commitment to pay for the trip, even if you don't raise the money. So, saying that, I have always wanted to go to Guatemala, but the first, I didn't feel like I could ever afford it. And the first time that Jill went, which was about five years ago, uh, I really couldn't afford it. So, being a parent, my daughter went and I stayed home. Uh, And then there was trip after that and trip after that and there's always an excuse a reason i couldn't afford it um i was getting older i didn't think i could keep up with everybody what could i can could i contribute um so there was always an excuse but i really wanted to go but then this last summer jill went and to be honest with you I just wanted to see Jill. I missed her a lot. Was that the right reason? No. but I went because God used her to get me out of my comfort zone. And so I'm trying to keep up with what I'm doing, but because there's so many things I could tell you that happened there that's not in this letter. Um. so you'll just have to bear with me when I kind of her off. I'm so thankful for God for helping me go last year. It was one of the most amazing things that I've done in my life. I've traveled a lot of places. I've done a lot of things in my life. I lived in Turkey for three years. I've been all over the world. And then, you know, I thought Guatemala, no big deal. <laughs> but... It was one of the most amazing things that I ever did. And I'm going to tell you something that I don't understand, and I'm sure you probably won't understand, but one of the greatest things I ever done in my entire life was hold this one little girl. And I had to kind of tell you and explain to you about her. Her name was Joseline. And she was maybe three or four years old. She weighed maybe 15 pounds. She had been at Hope Alive for about two weeks before we got there. She was a very sad, sick, and hurting child. Nobody, the reason I can't tell you her exact age is nobody had any paperwork on her. Nobody knew, you know, uh, any information. But... You know, as you go through this uh, center, there's kids that reach out for you and stuff. And, And this little girl reached out to me. And when I picked her up, I never knew what God had in store for me. Because you don't pick out the kid that you fall in love with, God picks it out. This little girl, I held her the first day for two hours. It was so hot it was so hot and I'm a hot natured person and she was hot she was running a fever and uh, I was just sweating and it was a good thing because tears were coming down as much as the sweat and I just held her and prayed and every time I'd put her down it would kill me and uh, so that's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life can you imagine that (laughs) But to me, it was invaluable because it put something in my heart that I've never experienced. And, uh, you know, Brad and Brandy fell in love with a little girl. Jill fell in love with a little girl. And to this day, I, every day I think of her, I pray for her. I can be in the shower. I do a lot of praying in the shower. and Maybe it's where I'm the most open. I don't know. But I, I, I just, I can't even explain to you what it is. And okay, I I don't tell this very often, or I don't think I I don't know. There's just a few people that know this. When I came back, Jill and I sometimes do a little fast, and it's not necessarily food because you can tell by looking at me I don't do without food, but. I love coffee drinks, the really good ones that you can buy. the. And so I said, okay, God, I said, I'm going to cut out that coffee drink. And that is my sacrifice, and it's nothing. I mean, that's nothing. But that's my sacrifice and my prayer for her. And so many times I'm tempted and like, Walgreens has them on sale all the time, and I just want to buy them. But God says, you know, you you told me you would pray. You told me you'd give up that one little coffee drink for that little girl. And so I have. And when I go back, I don't even know if she's going to be there. Because when we left, she was running the fever so high that they had to take her to the hospital. The hospital at that time was three hours away. So I don't even know if she's alive. But my prayer has been that after I left, that somebody comes along and loves that child as much as I loved her. And then after that person leaves, somebody else comes and loves her too. Because there are so many kids there with so many needs. And we may think that the littlest of things are nothing. But they're such a big deal. You guys have sent clothes, you've funded us, you've gave us so many things. And when you see these little kids with those little outfits on, oh my gracious. You know, they just look they're just amazing. When I was holding Jocelyn about the week we were there for a little over a week, about the last day she finally finally started interacting with me. Because even though she was about four years old and weighed 15 pounds, she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk, and she didn't smile. But that last day, next to the last day, she started smiling. She started smiling. That means you know how when you get older you get these little skin tags? Well, she took that little skin tag and she played with that skin tag and she picked at that thing until it was almost bleeding. But there's no way in this world I would have stopped that child. None. To this day, I can touch that little place and think to myself, that baby was there. And I loved her. I still love her. And I I hope and pray that whenever Jill and Tanner go this summer, Tanner's going to take his camera. And I've envisioned in my heart and my mind that he's going to take a picture of her and put it on Facebook so I could see her before I get there. And if she's not there, I'm just going to have to be okay. Because she'll be with God. And, uh, <clears throat> okay, I'm drifted again. <laughs> you know, we do so many things while we're there. But what God does with the people that go with us, Is unbelievable. I said earlier that, you know, Zach, the loudest thing about Zach is his drums. But when he's in Guatemala, he's a different person. He comes right out of that shell. And he talks and he interacts and he does all these things that you just look and you say, Look at Zach. We're just so proud of him. Michelle, Michelle, I think she made the comment that. She's never been so uncomfortable physically in her life, but yet so at peace in, in her life and so proud to be there and so happy because they complete her. And I never thought that it would happen to me that way because I've seen a lot, done a lot, and, but it did. It impacted me so much that I, I can't stop thinking about it if I was given a chance to move there, I probably would. Would I live in a hut? Probably. There was just so many things. You know, you think about, we watch our kids with every second of their life. We was in a village one day, and we was doing tie-dyed t-shirts, and uh, it was hot, and we got in a water fight, and You know, I squatted down because I'm old and uh, the kids were all over me. And I said, well, let's go to the river. And we did. We just all walked to the river and we swam in our clothes. And the kids would holler and they'd say, Sunday, (laughs) Sunday. And uh, it was just, it's just so amazing. They'd have nothing. We have everything. I mean... I was just back there thinking earlier, my kids, and they'd probably shoot me for this. They bought me a new TV for Christmas. But you know what? If it comes down to it, I'll sell my TV to go. I've got a really nice bed. I'll sell my bed to go. And we as a group have decided that we're basically paying our own ways to go if they fundraise they do or you know if they can earn money that's good but the money that we take will be going toward that church so a lot of times I didn't go on mission trips but I was with them because I prayed I prayed a lot for these people when they went and when Jill went and when she's gone for the summer and When she got bit by a scorpion or stung by a scorpion. And and then she got uh, peed on by a centipede, which was worse than the scorpion. Uh, But, you know, I just get amazed what God does. Does He put heartache in us? Yes. And thank God for it. Thank Him for the heartache because at least you can feel there's there's feeling there and I would hate to be a person that kept my heart so closed up that I couldn't reach out to somebody in fear of not being able to of getting hurt so I just ask that y'all pray for me and I didn't read this, I'm sorry sometimes it just don't happen that way but I just thank you all and and, uh, remember that There's needs everywhere around us. We don't have to go overseas or anywhere. We can do missions right here. And you can pray for these people. You can support them. And believe me, I hang on every detail that Jill has ever told me about Guatemala because I was just so there with her even though I wasn't. So I just ask that you guys pray for us all. Thank you.
0: So we've been following Elijah along this journey. And now we're finally to the point where he's on the hilltop. And he's with these there's four it says there's four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal with him. And they've got their, their sacrifice, they've got their bull laying here on the altar and, and they're uh they're praying to their God Baal, saying, Bring down fire and start this start this. We want rain, so we want to sacrifice this to you and and on and on and on. And they keep going. And if we look right here, we'll see Elijah starts to make fun of them. In verse 27, after they've, after they've done their sacrifice stuff, trying to get things to happen, it says, About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is, he is God. Perhaps he is daydreaming, or even relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip, or he's asleep. And needs to be awakened. He's making fun of Bell. And when I read that, I don't watch a lot of TV, but there's a state farm commercial. You know, the one with it's, it's the guy and his son, they re entered this other guy. And the guy that's being goes, Like a good neighbor, state farm is there, and and here comes the state farm. Oh, you're covered, don't worry about it. And then the little boy goes, Look, it's grandma. And grandma goes, Six more callers, Jimmy. Well, that's kind of why I look at this. Elijah said, where's your God at? Where's your, st- where's your insurance? Where's this person that's supposed to do what my God's going to do? And it goes on and says, So they shouted louder and following their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people. He says, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took twelve stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, he laid the pieces on the wood, then he said, Fill four large jars with water and pour the water all over the wood. So they did. After they had done this, he said, Do the same again. And then they were when they were finished then, He said, now do it a third time. So He did as He said. And the water ran around the altar and it even filled the trench around the altar. So God's asking Him to do the impossible. Go to Ahab. Tell Him it's not going to rain. Along your journey, I'm going to put people in place that you can impact along the way. To make it even more impactful cover everything with water. Not once, not twice, but three times. Make sure there's absolutely no way that this thing can ignite. And then we know the rest of the story, the fact that God did send down fire from heaven and the fire engulfed and the sacrifice burned. There's a couple things I want to point out throughout this whole story. And the first one is... We can't be afraid of doing what God's asked us because we might get hurt, we might get dent, or we might get scratched. I got a scratch up here. I ran into a wall. hit one. Don't go in a room with the lights out. It hurts. Okay? Cut on some lights. I say that because where I got hurt is where God has put our new ministry. Now, that's just the physical scratch, but a lot of times we're afraid of getting our feelings hurt or feel like we can't do it because of our past. But what I want you to see is God uses the least to do the most. In chapter 17, verse 6, it said, "...the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and each evening." Now, if you were saying about somebody going to bring you something, or, or if God was going to send something to bring you food, you think of like a majestic eagle or, or maybe a dove. But God sent a raven. The significance of that is this: a raven is known as the most unclean bird there is. The raven cleans up what's dead. If there's a dead possum on the side of the road, the raven's going to come get it. Not the cleanest animal. You know what? God calls us to do things, and we're not the cleanest people either. It's by God's grace that we're clean enough to do His work. So it doesn't matter what you've been through, what how you think of yourself. God wants to use you. He wants to use the ravens. A lot of times in church, we see those who are, who are doing the work, and we think of them as the dove, or, or whatever. We think of them as higher or maybe better than us. They man, they've got their act together. But the fact is, we're all ravens. We all screw up, and we, none of us really deserve to be able to do God's work. But by God's grace, we can. You know, I, I like creation, studying creation. When Noah, does anybody want to say what Noah sent off to find out if it was dry or not? It was a dove, but it was also a raven. He sent two birds out. But we always overlooked the raven. When we shared a story, we were like, yeah, he sent a dove out. And when it brought back a leaf, Noah knew it was time to, to open the doors. But there was a raven there as well. Second one I want you to see is the widow in verse ten and eleven. The widow that he was ministering to says, So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water and a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called her, Bring me a bite of bread too. Now we know from what we've studied today that she did exactly what he asked, because she felt like he was a man of God. She didn't know his God but she knew something was special about him. So she did what he asked. But what I want you to see about this widow is it just wasn't a widow in the village. In Luke 4.25, we learn exactly who she is. It says, Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years. And a severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was instead sent to a foreigner a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. He could help anyone here in this nation, but God sent him to what would be seemingly an outcast, a widow from another country. Someone that probably nobody else wanted to help because she's not from around here, would be the attitude. But God used Elijah to minister to her because she needed help. He also used her to provide the necessities that Elijah needed to fulfill the mission that God had put him put before him. And the third thing I want you to see is when Elijah was on his hilltop with the 450 prophets of Baal, it felt like it was Elijah against the rest of the world. I think we've all been there, but I wanted to share something that you may not understand about a pastor, Pastor Lynn, or a pastor of any church, a leading, a, a leading person in a church. Um, for me and Randy, when we were doing full-time youth ministry, ministry can be a very lonely place because you, you try to carry the burdens of those you're ministering to. Um, you know, you, you want to keep everything confidential. So the more you keep in, the more burden you have. But also, a lot of times, because you are the pastor, you're, you're alone. You're, you're left alone. And it makes it a very hard job. I've often said, um, ministry is the hardest job you can ever get into. Not physically demanding, but spiritually, it's crushing. Because you're always in a fight with the devil. He uses each and every day, each and every circumstance to just try to crush your spirit because it's hard for a pastor to get there every day or every Sunday and lead you guys with the things he deals with throughout the week just knowing what he knows because his hurt crushes for those who are hurting in his congregation. So here's Elijah feeling like it's him against the world against these 450. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, it even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Elijah against the world. There were 450 people on his hilltop. What does it say? They all cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Elijah thought he was going to minister to Ahab to show Ahab that the God Almighty is the one true God. But along the way he met this widow and she became a believer. She gave life to her son, revived him, and now he's went to the, these prophets and they've seen what God can do, and now guess what? they are believers. A lot of times our our mission is, hey, I want to minister to this one person, whether it be at work or school or whatever, or I I need to go to Guatemala to do this, or Africa to do this, or go to Lenore to help the soup kitchen for this reason. And that's our focus, and that's fine, because that's where God wants us to be headed. But we cannot overlook the people we are impacting along the way. Because although Elijah's goal was one person, it was over 450 lives changed. Because of that. Because he was obedient in doing what God had asked him to do. What I want to ask you guys to do to think about right now is this. What is God asking you to do in your life? Whether it's in your work, or is He nudging you to do more in the church? Is He asking you to go on a mission trip somewhere? Whether it's in the United States, out of the United States. But more importantly than that, I want to ask you this. What if you do not do what God is asking you to do? What if the raven had not brought Elijah the food? Elijah wouldn't have made it. What if the widow had not listened to Elijah? She and her son would have died. What if Elijah had said, God, what you are asking me to do To go to King Ahab is ridiculous and I refuse to do it. There's 450 plus people who would not have eternity in heaven nor would they have purpose in their life. You have to ask yourself, what if I don't do what God has asked me to do? I shared this and I wasn't planning on it but I shared this in the last service. Um I mentioned earlier that Brandon and I did skate and BMX ministry. And that was a very tough because to do skate and BMX ministry you gotta have a place to put ramps. And when we first started out four years ago, four and a half years ago, we found a building. We've been searching and searching and and when you walk in the building and the name of your ministry is UTH Ministries and you walk in the building and there's nothing in the building, but there's U-T-H on a sign, and then you walk around and find a picture of Jesus Christ, only thing in the building, to, to us, I was like, this is it, this is where we need to be, well, nothing ever happened, um, just things didn't work out to get it, so a few years later, we found another place. And they offered us rent. Low rent. It was like 25 cents a square foot or something like that. Something crazy. Um, low. And we, we could do that. We said, alright, we, we can fund that and give kids a place to come ride and be able to minister to them and have services with them on Thursdays. Well, it didn't happen. And the reason is is because there was a church in the same building and they didn't want us there. And I say that for this reason. Do you think those two occurrences may have hindered that ministry? Because I do. It's sad to know that the church wouldn't reach out to a lost, a lost world because the, the teenagers we were reaching t- to could care less about church. So if God is asking you to do something, where, whether it's to do these mission projects, if you want to go to Guatemala, He's calling you to do that. You can do it. If he's asking you to find a mission where it's Guatemala or Africa or something local, soup kitchen, whatever, call the old Baptist Center up here. If he's calling you that, do it. And think, well, if I don't, what will happen? Will I hinder it? Acts 1 8 says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit enters you. So for some of you, you may not know what God wants you to do because you don't know God. See, when you know God, it says His Spirit fills you and you know what He wants you to do. For others of you, you may not know what God wants you to do because maybe you're not spending enough time with Him. You're not, you're not reading His Word and you're not praying and saying, God, what do you want me to do? And that may be something you, you need to deal with. But what I want to ask you to do during this time of invitation is look at this connection card because I'm going to go over it with you for just a second. You know, as a, as a raven in the story, we may think we're not good enough to do what God has called us to do. A few years ago, Lynn had an altar call invitation, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was—I remember what I put, and it, it was just the fact that um, I love my dad, but growing up all through high school, um, it just seemed like good was not good enough. And I, I know He was proud of me, but it was just never said. But it wasn't until I come to know Christ and allowing Him to live through me that my, God, my dad accepted me as good enough. But it wasn't me. It was God. He saw God in my life. You know, Dad wanted me to go do this this thing after high school. And I knew that's not what God wanted me to do. And it was hard for him to accept that. But when he saw how God was working in my life, the fact that I was really trying to follow what God wanted me to do, that I became good enough. And that's true with all of us in here. We're only good enough because God is gracious enough to do that. So on the third one there, it says, As a raven, I now see that God can use me as I am, and I commit to seeking opportunities to serve here around me. Each one of you is good enough. No matter what your history is, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done yesterday, no matter what you've done this morning before you got to church. By God's grace, we are good enough to do what He has called us to do. The next one you might be considering says, I commit to serving here at church and we'd like more information on the opportunities. Maybe that's where you need to start. Start right here. Walk along somebody and minister here in the church. And then the last one is, I want to know more on serving in Guatemala. So as the band comes and plays, I want you to just pray over this and say, God, what is it you're wanting me to do? And please do not let me hinder Your will by not doing what You've asked. Because we all have to do what God has asked us to do for His purposes to be fulfilled. I'm going to pray for us and the band will come up. Father, I just thank You for this day. Father, I thank You for the fact that You have made us... um, You're gracious enough to make us to where we can do work for you, Father. That, Father, when we try to, to do the, the visions and the missions that you put before us, Father, we may not understand how it's going to work out, but we know that that you can provide, you will provide, because you've called us to do it. Lord, I pray that um, you would help us see that no matter what our past is, that, uh, that it's okay. And that your love is sufficient enough to equip us and motivate us. And Father, all you ask us to do is to take that first step and just follow along the way. Even when it's scary, Father, and we don't know how it's all going to come together. Father, just thank you for this time, and I pray that you work in the lives of those in this room. I praise in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.